do yourself a favor and run at it harder. Don't be so hesitant, you know, um, because you've got good instincts. Trust those instincts. You'll be right more than you're wrong. Welcome back to another episode of the 20 at 20 podcast, where I, Bryce Betts, your host, have 20-minute conversations with industry leaders about what advice they would give their 20-year-old selves. Thanks so much for listening. It's episode two, and uh, already I feel a little bit more comfortable behind the mic and a lot less nervous in the first episode, and I really appreciate you giving me a chance in this audio journey and listening to me grow in this, and hopefully you get some valuable advice for yourself that you're able to implement into your life. I have an amazing guest today. He's been an entrepreneur since the age of 14. He's a journalist, a photographer. He's started and sold multiple companies from the likes of Mac University to even an Italian ice company and dabbles in a hobby of candle making. Today on the other line, we have Mike Carruth. Mike, how you doing? Doing good, Bryce. Thanks for having me on. It's awesome. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm excited to get started. Uh, just for some context, Mike has he was my boss for a while. He also runs BMX News through the Fiodin Action Sports Group, has a few different bicycle websites. And I really, um, I think a big part of how comfortable I am online is some of the growth that I had at a young age, starting at about 17 with Mike and starting to put things out there. And I eventually started doing some more um, stuff on my own, and, and which has eventually culminated into this podcast. So Mike definitely has a big part of myself being here today, so I really appreciate that. And Mike, if you could just outline for our listeners um, kind of what focuses you have today and, and what some of your responsibilities are and what you're doing in the business world today. Sure, sure. So, you know, I, like you said, I'm still, um, you know, running bmxnews.com um, and uh, really kind of gearing up for a, a, a new renaissance in that. Um, so that's really exciting because after 11 years of, of doing it, um, it started to get a little old, and, and so to, to bring some fresh, you know, some fresh juice into that is going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, aside from that, I do a lot of, uh, of business coaching and, and um, entrepreneur uh, mentoring, um, part of a, an, an organization called Founder Institute, which uh, has uh, branches all over the world. And, you know, so I'm pretty involved in the Chicago branch. Um, and then uh, looking for some, you know, just kind of the what's next uh, picture. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always uh, either in the process of starting up or of, you know, of kind of building up. And so um, I've got a couple startup ideas on the pad that um, I'm definitely going to be acting on in the coming couple months. So that's exciting as well. Nice. I, I can't wait to see those come to fruition. And I have seen some improvements in BMX News. Just launched a new website, which is awesome. Uh, if you're involved in BMX racing, I'm sure you're already familiar with the website. But if not, definitely check that out. Uh, if you could just, it sounds like you have a, your hand in a lot of different pies, and a lot of different focuses. Um, but do you still stick to like a, a pretty regimen routine or is it really very day to day? Um, what do you do daily usually? Um, so a lot of times I work, I'll usually work pretty late cause I like to work, um, when everyone's asleep. So I'll usually work until about one or two in the morning and then, and that's, so I'm sort of back, you know, kind of backloading it there because that, that drives the rest of what I'm about to tell you because then I'll, I'll usually get up at around nine, nine thirty, um, check emails. I do a lot of work, uh, building project, uh, you know, software projects and stuff with developers in India. Um, and so, uh, they're, 
11 and a half hours ahead. So um, I do a lot of uh, kind of setting the table with them at, in our nighttime so that in the morning I can wake up and uh, they're still online a little bit. And so we can work, we can talk through the work that they did overnight. So that helps a lot. Um, and then, you know, BMX news type stuff, I'll write up a, an article or two. At least that's when there is news to write, I'll, I'll post it. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of napping, so I'll, I'll, I'll go up for a two-hour nap, in, you know, a day. Um, and then uh, and then be ready for the sec what I call the second shift, which, uh, you know, is my nighttime work time. Um, so that's kind of, I mean, and then there's lots of other stuff that could fill in those, those gaps, but that's, those are basically the, the essential pillars of the day. Now that we have an idea of what you do today, if we could just flash back to when you're 20 years old, could you paint a picture of, um, where you were working or, or what sort of endeavors you were, you're focused on at that time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, the, you know, the year is 1986, um, 20 years old and uh, working at BMX Plus Magazine, High Torque Publications. Um, and they are a publisher of many, many titles. So mostly in the, in the motorsports, or you know, like the action sports, now we would call it, um, field. So High Torque Publications, you know, they do a lot of uh, action sports type magazines, dirt bike, motocross action, um, mountain bike action now. But uh, so during 1986, I was the associate editor of the magazine. I had been there one, about a year and a little bit more than a year, and I was also, um, you know, I was also selling ads as advertising director of the magazine, so I had dual responsibility, which is pretty rare for um, someone in editorial, let alone someone who's 20 years old, but in editorial, it's kind of a church and state situation. You're either on the editorial side or you're on the advertising side, but in, the, in this particular case, I had the opportunity to do both. Okay, interesting. So that sounds like a a pretty important role at at twenty years old. What, how were you already in such an integral part? What what kind of experience did you have, or um, what were you what were you innovating to to be in that position at that young of an age? Yeah, so great question. Um, I so as you noted at the top of the show, I started my first company when I was fourteen years old, and so um, by that point, I had about six years' experience in the business world, and so I was selling ads, I was pitching sponsors, I was setting up events. I ran um, a thing called the World Freestyle Organization, and so we did bicycle freestyle competitions. Um, actually, I think some of the very first in the Midwest. Um, Dennis McCoy's first contest was at one of my contests in Joliet, Illinois. Um, I still have his membership card. Um, so, uh, so by the time I got to, to high torque and, you know, I, I was doing a zine, I had done, um, quite a bit of, you know, publishing type, you know, type of things like selling ads, writing copy, shooting photos. Um, so, you know, it just so happened though, as far as the advertising side of that, where, um, someone who would become a huge mentor for me, Howie Cohen, he was the owner of Everything Bicycles. Kuahara was their chief brand. And, um, and he, uh, you know, just saw something in me, liked, you know, liked the way I operated or whatever and said that, um, and so I took a chance with him once to say, you know, gosh, I really wish you guys would advertise with us because, you know, it, it would make a big difference to your brand if you did. And, um, and he's like, well, that's a really great point, but I'll tell you why I don't. And it's because, you know, I just don't get along with some of the people over there. So if you could tell, go back to Roland Hines and you could tell him that if you could sell me the ad, then I'll buy two pages a month. And I did that. And, um, through Roland and Scott Wallenberg, who are both again, 
big mentors, uh, you know, as far as the business side of the publishing industry, um, they let me do that, and uh, then that was kind of that. That was kind of the the roadmap for the next couple of years. Nice. So, so you did mention mentor, and I'm still so new into this podcast, but I do really believe that the theme of people that are at 20 years old already doing um, quote-unquote big things, I think uh, they're definitely going to have some big mentors in their life. So did that mentor, is that someone that kind of followed you throughout the rest of your business endeavors, or did you continue to pick up um, some different ones along the ways while still keeping some of those lessons from the early BMX days in mind? Well, I, so, so the, the, the mentors who are super, you know, like key in my career, uh, Mike Collins, who was the editor of super BMX magazine. And he gave me my first like actual published writer credential, uh, in, you know, like in 1981. So I think I was just a little shy of 15 years old. Um, John Carr, who is still at the magazine to this day and uh, still a friend, obviously uh, we're, you know, we keep in touch thanks to Facebook. Um, so he was the guy who hired me at BMX Plus and was a huge mentor along the way. Um, once I left the bike business, though, and got more into the advertising side, you know, those connections sort of, you know, just faded faded away a little bit. And and we would, you know, stay in touch every once in a while. But it wasn't. I was in Chicago. They were in in Los Angeles. So there wasn't really much of a. I mean, I guess if we had Facebook back then, it would have been a lot easier to keep in touch. But unfortunately, Howie passed away uh, a few years ago, so we never really got a chance to uh, kind of, you know, uh, like, you know, uh, freshen up our relationship in the later years. Oh, sorry to hear that, but uh, he still lives on through the lessons that he's given you for sure. I was just, uh, you did mention social media quickly. So obviously social media wasn't around uh, when, when you were 20 years old. But how do you think, do you think your, your path would be different today? I know, I know you were in the advertising world. It's obviously social media, it goes pretty hand in hand with advertising today. And there, there's no way to really know where it would be. But do, do you think that you would have had the same passion that you had in, in journalism and in social media today as a young adopter? Or how do you think that would differ if, if you were had the same mind but, but started, started later, maybe kind of how I am, born in 95, so I was kind of grew up in the social media age? Yeah, you know, it's, that's, a great, uh, that's a great question to ask because um, it, I think that it's one of those things that might surprise people, but I think that we, we in, our, in that era, that, that 80s era, were a lot better off because as far as publishing and, and, you know, and being in media because um, we had kind of an audience that was a captive audience. I mean, obviously today, if you have a Facebook page, you know, you're automatically a publisher kind of thing. And, and so it takes away from the quality of, 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 um, of content that, that actual publishers create. I mean, BMX Plus at the time that I worked there, actually a little, a little farther beyond in 1986, but by the time I left there in 88, they were selling 161,000 copies a month. And uh, by the time they shut down a few years back, I think it was down to like 19 or 20,000 a month. So um, it's a big difference. <laughs> and uh, so I, I'm actually real happy that I, I came up in the world that I did as far as technology was concerned. Um, and, and actually, I have some a couple of points to say in that regard and a little down the rundown here. 
Nice. That, that's definitely an interesting perspective. For me, it's hard to remove myself from social media and, and picture a, a world without it, to be honest, or a world without smartphones. But I, I, I guess I, I could probably wrap my head around there's a lot less distractions. You, you could just focus on some better content. It is pretty topical. For now, I mean, Facebook's running into a lot of issues with, uh, let's say, that the quote-unquote fake news or um, some of the stuff that gets put out there. It doesn't have the same journalist integrity that it, that it used to have back in the day, and that's that's really a, a tw- 21st century problem that we're, we're running into. And slowly, hopefully, it gets worked out, but I, I don't really see how we could get get back to that that time do you think there's any shift that you are noticing in the the journalist world on that that side of integrity i mean not for the better i think that it's only getting worse and it'll continue to get worse and to the point where you know you just don't like you know you just don't know anymore who is um i mean everyone has an agenda it's 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 really news is nowadays mostly opinion there really isn't too much like straight up news um there was an article just last week in the washington post about bicycles and how kids aren't riding bikes as much and that's something that really interests me because that's one of my missions now is to you know get kids back on bikes and so um but the the article was colored in such a such a <laughs> such an obvious way as an anti-trump you know anti-tariff uh, type of of piece that you know it all of the good that could have been done by by an article like that was sort of overshadowed by the agenda yeah, it's it's really a shame because, I mean, it, it, no matter where your political beliefs are, there's just no need in certain things to interject it, and it doesn't change. I, I mean, what I'm doing today, if the president changed tomorrow, I'm still going to be doing the same thing and focusing on the same thing, and there's there's so many things that I think we just we tie way too much towards that, and I, sadly, like you said, it doesn't seem like it's it's going to change anytime soon. Okay, so moving forward, so you're 20 years old and you're you're working in the advertising world through cycling. Do you, where do you think you you saw your career going, and and did you match that way um, that that maybe you thought that it was gonna go? I know you kind of divulged outside of BMX racing into the advertising world, and and some of the actual technological components. Do you think that uh, you were prepared for that move, or did it kind of come just as opportunities arose in your mid 20s? Well, I think that what's interesting is that, you know, life has a way of sort of, you know, like kind of pushing you in certain directions. And it's just like, you know, chance meetings here and there that, that you know, you that weren't planned turned in, you know, turned into massive, you know, massive pivot points in your in your life. So, I mean, you know, um, go to, you know, decide not to go to a specific you know, events, networking event, gallery event, whatever. Uh, if you decided not to go to that one because you didn't feel good or you just wanted to hang out at home, uh, boom, you know, like a whole chunk of your life wouldn't have existed. And that is, uh, you know, that's a, that's a pretty powerful thing, you know. And so I think the answer to your question is no, I didn't have any sort of um, like real clear picture at, at in 1986 uh, as to where my career was going. I saw, I saw, I loved being at the magazine. I loved doing it. Um, and so had a few things not happened in that, in that timeline, you know, people at high torque publications are still there today from when I worked there. So that's 30 years, 30 plus years that there's, that people are still there. So, I mean, that's a huge, uh, 
testament to how great that company is, how stable the, the leadership, the management. Um, so who knows? I, I very well could have, you know, stayed there for, for the past 30 plus years. Yeah, there's really no, no way to know what would have happened in a different path. And I, and I don't want to get into some sort of uh, ideological thinking of, of this crazy alternative life because there's no real t way to know. And I would prefer to more focus on the lessons that were learned along the actual path of, of real life. So if you could just walk us through, um, we have a good picture of where you're at at 20 years old. Um, but then how do you get to eventually starting um, some companies and selling them? And, and could you just walk us through that timeline? Yeah, sure. So um, after um, I parted ways with the magazine, I did, um, uh, you know, advertising and, you know, did photography and, you know, layout and stuff like that. It was all on the boards at that point. There wasn't electronic, you know, like the Macintosh was just coming into it, so it really wasn't quite there yet. Um, and then, um, you know, during that, you know, BMX you know, BMX and BMX Freestyle kind of fell off a cliff in 89, and there really wasn't any more work. So, um, you know, the, the advertisers were cutting way back. They didn't have the money anymore, and the magazines were in deep trouble. And so um, I took a, a position out in Taiwan and moved there for about nine months and worked at an agency and just kind of was there, you know, their round eyes, as, as they called me. They, they, so it was, it was a joke. They called me that. Um, and so I was just sort of the Western face behind, you know, some of the stuff. And they took me on pitch meetings and, you know, I wrote some copy. And, and it, was, it was a fun time. I did it for um, probably the total of about six months, um, you know, with, with a little break in the middle to come home, um, you know, between. And, um, and then that kind of left, you know, some time to move back to Chicago. I, and then, you know, like I said, that one of those things where the decision to, to like go out and, and meet people one night turned into meeting someone that, you know, in a business capacity was, uh, you know, uh, ready to do, you know, get started on a business. And, um, you know, we did Creative Alliance, which was the, the name of the, our company, started in 1991. And, um it was uh, the idea behind it was that it was a virtual agency. And so we, um, you know, we would find talent, we would run ads, we would just go out and, you know, like do networking and stuff and find great artists and um, writers and creative types and uh, put them in a big binder or a series of binder books that we had. And then uh, we would go out and pitch, you know, uh, companies and, and like businesses to get, creative work. So whether it's a catalog or a paint a mural on the side of a building or this kind of thing, Creative Alliance would do that. And, um, and then it started to evolve into the Macintosh being a huge uh, influence, a production tool really uh, in the creative side in, in the early 90s. And so companies wanted their people to understand and learn how to use the Macintosh. And so we started teaching a Mac, just a very basic essentials of Macintosh class um, the very first of which was on May 9th, 1992. And uh, we did um, a bunch of those and we had started to see like, you know, they told two friends and so on and so on. Uh, they came to, uh, you know, the people who came to those classes told two friends. They came back and asked if we were going to do another Mac class. And that turned into a company, you know, called Mac University, which started uh, at that time. And, um, you know, we kind of throttled back on the advertising side and, and improved the, the Mac class offerings. And, uh, you know, with 
within a couple of years, we were, you know, we had four classrooms, we had 50 computers, we were, you know, really rolling, you know, rolling huge. And uh, that led all the way up to the dot-com, you know, the dot-com boom in the late 90s, like 99, 2000. Um, and then unfortunately, in 2001, um, like the day, I think it was actually the day that we were bringing my daughter, uh, Fiona, home from the hospital because I, I waited to like have, you know, have a family until things were quote unquote stable. Well, the very day we were pulling out of the hospital with her new bundle of joy in the car strapped in real tight, um, it started to all come down. And so the dot-com bubble collapsed and we lost 80% of our business over like a 90-day period and it was a complete train wreck. Um, and so we sort of pulled back and, you know, a, just a lot of tough times, obviously, and with a new baby at home, that was, you know, emotional roller coaster. I don't know if I'm going too, too far into the present. Is that okay? Or no, that that's perfect. I'm totally engulfed into this story and I want, want to hear it culminate to where you are today. Yeah. So, and then uh, we, we sort of reconstituted digital uh, Mac university into a new company called digital bootcamp. And that happened in 2002. Um, we through and through that, so we had this massive, you know, uh, kick in the nuts over, uh, in April when we, when, when we were coming home with Fiona, like I said, and then a, a couple months later, like the coup de gras was, uh, you know, like nine 11 happened and so then you know it was just like that just took us down to the to the street top and we were we were done at that point um so we had to sort of go back into the bunker and figure out something and uh we came back as digital boot camp and uh, and then th it wasn't not it was not only macintosh then at that point that we were doing we were doing mac and pc classes and we you know um as a company, kind of you know, a lot of great people with me and, you know, stood by as even as payroll couldn't be met, you know, and, um, and so, uh, they helped get things going again. And, um, and a, a great friend, you know, came into it as well and, and helped, um, his name's Kevin Kramer, great guy and, uh, a huge friend to this day and, and helped to get things back on its feet. And, uh, then, so by 2004, you know, we had a brand new space and we were, you know, back kind of back on top and selling great classes and, you know, doing business with all the com the companies that we always wanted to do business with. Um, even Adobe itself, you know, hired us to do go and teach classes on their behalf in New York and in places that were, you know, uh, like the, they wanted the best. And so they came to us to do it. Um, and that was a huge source of pride. And um, then one of our customers in uh, in 2007 um, had asked to if maybe you know they, they could give us an offer to buy the company, and um, then at that point uh, it was it was decided that 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 you know that gentleman would buy the company, and uh, then that was it. And it was tough because I had 15 years of doing that business, and you know in one form or another. And all of a sudden, so, so I think it was like September 12th, 2007 was when the deal was signed and that was like a Friday. And so Monday morning comes and like, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know what, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going down to the office anymore. You know, uh, that's, that's done with now. So that was a weird, that was a weird few months, certainly, you know, and, uh, and then in March of 2008, um, I purchased vintagebmx.com. I had been a user of the website just casually and uh, and then started to become interested in 
building community and, and you know some sort of online business and so um, I bought um, vintagebmx.com from Bill Curtin, a guy named Bill Curtin, great guy as well. And uh, then uh, uh, BMX News came along in October of that year, 2008. And so that's pretty much, you know, since then there's been a lot of great and interesting things that have happened. But as far as the big milestones, those are, that's pretty much the, the, the broad strokes. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. That was a, a great story of serendipity. And you could tell your journalistic uh, skills that you've built over the year helps tell a really uh a really clear story that's happened and I'm glad to be able to document that. So it really sounds like a lot of things just kind of led into different things. And I suppose if you were to use trendy words today in the tech space or something, you would say you pivoted and all these different things um, that are just buzzwords. But in reality, you were just making the best of, of situations that were in front of you and always just leading with a step forward, even even in times of trife, which it sounds like there were some scary times with the dot-com bubble time. and 9-11 and, 9 11 and yeah, that kind of thing. So that was such an awesome story. And it sounds like, I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of, of peaks and uh, highs and lows along that story, but when you zoom out, it sounds like just such a, a positive build throughout life. But when you were 20 years old, do you think there's any sort of advice that could have helped you um, with the stuff that you were going to accomplish later in life or anything that would make it easier or more enjoyable? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I, I've got a few points. Um, should I just rattle them off or should I, should we, should I give you one and we talk about it? Let's just rattle them off. Okay. So, uh, the one is, is that your entrepreneurial intuition is right. Um, you know, but do yourself a favor and run at it harder. Don't be so hesitant, you know, um, because you've got good instincts, trust those instincts. You'll be right more than you're wrong. Um, so I'm kind of writing it as, as if I were telling it to the person of 1986. So um, self-discipline is going to be the most important skill you possess. Don't wait to start developing it and mastering it. Spend as much time as possible with your grandparents. Um, record everything they say on the recordable Walkman you use for the races. Um, ask them you know, to show you as much as they know as possible um, because they, they, they all, you know, the, those pe people of that era – you know, but my grandparents were the ones that I knew. They, they all know how to do everything. My grandfather could, could was a tailor. He knew how to fix engines. He knew how to fix television sets. You know, he he knew how to do everything, and it was a hell of a cook too. So that was one thing. Um, and then here's one that is it really plays into the story that we just told, which is that that Macintosh that you were drooling over at Computerland is going to play a big role in your life in about six years. Uh, way more than the DOS machine that you bought. So uh, one of the things I wanted to buy a computer for doing my work and uh, being able to edit my stories instead of just writing, uh, typing them out. And so I bought this DOS computer, um, but I really wanted a Macintosh. And so uh, I could have bought that Mac and, uh, and and dove a little deeper into, you know, being a part of the Mac community earlier. Um, and, and as a part of that, uh, the Apple stock price is at 61 cents a share. <laughs> 61 cents in 1986. So you're going to want to buy as much of that as you can until August of 2018 when it will hit 227.63. So $227.02 of upside on that one. Pretty amazing. Yeah, that's amazing growth. Isn't that? <laughs> 
30, um, so the, the final one is that 30 years will go by in the blink of an eye. And, uh, and so don't wait on stuff, do it and get it, get going. And, you know, it, it's going to be a great ride, but 30 years goes by super quick. Awesome. I love it. So that's such a great list of, uh, kindling your entrepreneur spirit. Uh, make sure you have a lot of self-discipline, which it sounds like you did, but I'm sure everyone knows that they could always have a little bit more. And it uh, sounds like I need to call my grandparents after this this podcast is over. And then, of course, don't wait. So thanks so much for sharing that. Uh, is there any closing remarks that, that you feel like we need to kind of close up on? And if, if not, uh, where can everyone reach you? You know, I think we've gone over a lot of it. And certainly I could go on all night about, you know, the, the – from the mentorship point of view and, and so many of the other points that we talked about. But if anyone has any specific questions or would like, you know, uh, a sounding board or any advice, I'm available at Mike at Fioden, F-I-O-D-A-N.com. And that is, uh, it, by the way, it's just kind of a combination word that I created between my son and daughter's names, Fiona and Jordan. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for, for coming on. And of course, if you're in the bicycle community, be sure to check out BMX News. And I do want to thank you for being such a large mentor in my life. I'm sure in 20, 30 years when I'm telling my story of where I am, I, I have no clue where that'll be, but I do know it's going to be a, an awesome place and you'll be a big part of that story of who I become. So thanks so much for that. And to the listeners, thanks for enduring through this. I really appreciate it. I hope you heard some great nuggets and were able to follow along that journey. And I found it really enjoyable. And if you did, be sure to subscribe, listen on all the different podcast platforms. And if you could leave a review, that really helps me. Uh, thanks so much. And uh, for Mike and I, thanks for listening and catch you in the next one next week, Tuesdays at two. Thank you.